Beloved, as we continue worshiping this morning, we invite you to turn in your Bible or Bible apps to the Gospel according to John, the sixth chapter, beginning in the 56th verse. Let us receive the word of God. Those who eat my flesh and drink my blood abide in me, and I in them. Just as the living Father sent me, and I live because of the Father, so whoever eats me will live because of me. This is the bread that came down from heaven, not like that which your ancestors ate and they died, but the one who eats this bread will live forever. He said these things while he was teaching in the synagogue at Capernaum. When many of his disciples heard it, they said, this teaching is difficult, who can accept it? But Jesus, being aware that his disciples were complaining about it, said to them, Does this offend you? Then what if you were to see the Son of Man ascending to where he was before? It is the Spirit that gives life. The flesh is useless. The words that I have spoken to you are spirit and life. But among you there are some who do not believe. For Jesus knew from the first who were the ones that did not believe, and who was the one that would betray him? And he said, For this reason I have told you that no one can come to me unless it is granted by the Father. Because of this, many of his disciples turned back and no longer went about with him. So Jesus asked the twelve, Do you also wish to go away? Simon Peter answered him, Lord, to whom can we go? You have the words of eternal life. We have come to believe and know that you are the Holy One of God. Receive what the Spirit is saying. Thanks be to God. Will you pray with me? Loving God, may your word live in us that we might reflect you. And in this time, O oh God, may my words be an honor to what you have done and are doing in Jesus Christ and in this beautiful broken world. Help what I offer serve you and your people. I pray it in Jesus' name. Amen. Our gospel passage that we heard today is the conclusion of a story that began with Jesus feeding more than 5,000 people, a big congregation, with one child's lunch. It's a wonderful, crowd-pleasing story. But the next morning, Jesus preaches a sermon and things take a turn. Today, we hear the last of many complaints that followed Jesus' sermon. The complaint making its way through the grapevine of Jesus' grumbling congregation is, this teaching is difficult. Who can accept it? 
Jesus picks up on the grapevine grumbling and asks quite directly, does this offend you? Evidently, the answer for most of the crowd was a resounding yes. Most of those in the crowd decided that they could not accept what Jesus was saying, that they could not accept what Jesus was offering, that they would not accept who Jesus was, and they turned back and no longer went about with him. That's what the book says. Y'all, Jesus got canceled. For some years now, there's a thing called cancel culture that's been prevalent in public dynamics and has been a focus of concern and debate in the public square and in academia. Cancel culture at its most basic refers to the act of withdrawing support for someone or something in response to words or actions that are found to be offensive or inappropriate. There are certainly times when boycotting a business or critiquing an influential public figure's words or actions are important ways to exert pressure for positive social change. There's a time and place for that and a way to make it uh, meaningful for change. And certainly free speech is a critically important part of democratic society. But the toxic environment of polarized, easily triggered, dehumanized and dehumanizing either or thinking and reactivity has been a perfect breeding ground for a version of cancel culture that is quite simply just an exercise in public shaming and ostracism. It brands people with a proverbial scarlet letter such that they are no longer seen as really worthy of any care, respect, or engagement whatsoever. Cancel culture, by the way, is not unique to one side or perspective in our society. There are persons across the spectrum of so-called left to right of the political, religious, or academic spheres who cancel people due to perceived disloyalty to their brand of dogmatic purity or prejudice or discomfort. To be clear, the focus often has been on celebrities or powerful public figures who are not really going to have their lives or livelihoods radically altered by the social outcry against them. Their egos, and maybe sometimes their jobs, might get altered, but not their capacity to live or to thrive. It's important to recognize, however, that there are some for whom 
getting publicly shamed, whether they did something egregious or not, really does threaten their lives. My point is simply that the public shaming so often at the heart of today's cancel culture often leads to no good or more just outcome for anyone or for the larger society. There's more that could be said about all of that, of course. But it strikes me that today we're reminded that cancel culture is not really anything new. Most of those in the crowd, it says in the book, the followers or the disciples of Jesus turned back and no longer went about with him. What was so offensive that people would leave? What got Jesus canceled by so many? Maybe it was the way that Jesus talked or that his words were confusing. I mean, really, what does it mean to abide in Jesus? And what's up with this idea that eating and drinking his flesh and blood has something to do with life in God? And is Jesus bread? And is it flesh or words that give life? And, oh, by the way, gross, eating human flesh and drinking human blood? Perhaps they just couldn't stomach such talk. And it is, by the way, a documented historical fact that there were those who persecuted the early Christians due to an accusation that in the secret society of the Christians, the Lord's Supper was actually a cannibalistic rite. Maybe offense was taken at the fact that Jesus didn't seem to be making nice. He wasn't trying to use nice language, but rather used fairly provocative, earthy, unsentimental words to describe what he was talking about. Jesus isn't talking about eating in polite company with all of the silverware and the little cups and the linen napkins. The word Jesus uses Tidally translated eat in verse 56 is the Greek word trogo, which means to chew on or to gnaw. Jesus is saying that true life is found by hunkering down and gnawing on his flesh. <laughs> Not the height of refinement or delicacy. So confusing words. Words that can be easily misinterpreted, failing to use the correct words, ways of speaking that don't placate but agitate. All of these things could have been what got Jesus canceled. They are certainly things people get canceled for today. Or... Maybe what Jesus got canceled for was his challenge of cherished beliefs. He said that this bread they were supposed to chew on was more life-giving and sustaining than that connected with Moses, the manna in the wilderness. 
challenging a comfortable, familiar faith and way of thinking? Yep, that's always going to be fertile ground for cancellation. Or perhaps some in the congregation began to perceive what Jesus was saying. Perhaps they understood Jesus as calling them into the messiness of human life and relationship and community to have real flesh and blood encounters with people that might be really painful or challenging and that might require some self-sacrifice. Perhaps they began to realize that Jesus called them to follow in the way of life that Jesus modeled. And they just couldn't go there because it made them uncomfortable. Or they didn't want to be so challenged. Maybe they left because what Jesus was offering asked too much of them. Regardless of which offense causes people to turn away from Jesus, the bottom line is that they do. Thousands in the story, then and now, just walk away unable to perceive, unwilling to receive all that's offered. And certainly there's much to lose if we walk away. But I got to be honest, I kind of get it. Let's not sugarcoat it. There's also a lot to lose if we follow Jesus. We have to lose our self-righteousness and our self-centeredness. We have to lose our demand for control of everything, as if we could ever have it anyway. We have to lose our polarized either-or thinking that so often feels so much easier. We have to lose our capitulation to a culture that values bland niceness more than justice, that values upward mobility more than solidarity, that values being right more than being kind, that values money more than mercy. We have to lose our taste for shaming and bullying or belittling others. To follow the Holy One of God, Jesus, means giving up canceling anybody. Dr. Cornell West puts it plainly, quote, Christians don't believe in canceling people. Everybody can bounce back. Everybody has the capacity to be changed and transformed. That is at the heart, of course, of our United Methodist tradition, the belief that people, you and I, can grow in holiness and love, that we can be better tomorrow than we are today, that we are going on to perfection. 
as we continue to receive the grace of Jesus. And that's an important piece here. What Jesus models is being present in the flesh and blood messiness of people who are not yet perfected in love, those in conflict and in need, to be present in pain. Jesus is present to all of that with clarity, with patience, with strength, and with love. Jesus most certainly speaks words of critique, but always for the purpose of growth and transformation and justice, not for the purpose of public shame. Not long after the story we heard today in John, a woman allegedly caught in adultery was publicly shamed and made to stand in front of Jesus and all who were gathered in the temple. And when Jesus was asked whether he agreed with a law that required the woman to be stoned, he said, quote, let anyone among you who is without sin be the first to throw a stone at her. When everyone left and no stone had been thrown and the woman was there with Jesus, Jesus did not condemn her, but gave her and her accusers another chance. Much of current cancel culture offers no second chance, makes no room for grace or for change, for transformation. It ends conversation. It ends relationships. It ends possibilities. It makes a sibling, and sometimes even a friend or a family member, into an object of scorn. And you see, this does happen not just on Twitter and Instagram. It happens in our personal lives and relationships at every level. Of course, there are times, let me be clear, there are times when we need to separate ourselves from a harmful relationship or dynamic. There are times when it is appropriate to clearly denounce the injustice of a person or institution's actions or policies. But what I'm talking about today is the way that we cut people off in our lives and refuse to engage in a difficult conversation for the sake of reconciliation. What we're talking about today is how we write people off as nothing more than whatever the thing might be, nothing more than a cheat or a liar or a liberal or a trumper or a coward or a racist or a homophobe. Nothing more than is not something Jesus would ever say about anyone, I don't think. Nothing more than erases experience and context and humanity and potential. To follow Jesus, we have to lose nothing more than. 
and the juicy emotional satisfaction that comes with feeling morally superior or like we know everything about a person or a situation when we really, really don't. To follow Jesus, there is most certainly a lot that we have to lose. And some might find it too difficult a way to go. I understand. But what do we lose if we turn back and no longer go about with Jesus? What do we lose if Jesus gets canceled? According to the text, the answer is spirit and life. If we cancel Jesus, we lose the life that we were truly made for. A life enfolded in God's life. A life that is formed by and conformed to God's wisdom and way of compassion and justice, life that shares in God's mending work in the world, life that is filled and fueled by God's steadfast love. That love is our sustenance. That love is our freedom. That love is shown to us and offered to us in the flesh and blood gift of Jesus. Jesus' flesh and blood is literally Jesus' life. The embodied, incarnate Jesus and all that Jesus said and did, this is what we are invited to feast upon, to receive, to be filled with and nourished by. The wisdom of God revealed in Jesus, the justice of God revealed in Jesus, the humanity and generosity of God revealed in Jesus, the perfect love of God revealed in Jesus. This is our food. This is what we consume so that we might more fully reflect that image so that God is revealed through us. We are offered chance after chance, grace upon grace, life-giving bread from heaven, everlasting love, and a Savior who never cancels us. So the question is, to whom will you go? To a life-diminishing culture or a life-giving Christ? The good news is that you and I get to choose every minute, every day, graced by a God chance after chance and for that I say thanks be to God